Welcome back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is session 153. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. This session we will be picking up on Genesis chapter 3. So um, Abraham's in a good place right now. He has just passed his test and of course we talked about that last time and um, but at the end of the his passing the test there we get to chapter 23 and the first thing that we see there that is his wife, Sarah, dies. She's 127 years old. Okay, so it's every, everybody gets their turn in the box, right? And so she lived to be 127, and she died in the land of Canaan. Tell you more about her burial place. Uh, now, Abraham's got a little dilemma. He's been promised all this land, and he's been by God, and he's been promised uh, offspring that you can't count the stars and all. That. And yes, he does uh, have Isaac, and and that's great. But he doesn't have any land yet, okay? At least not in the promised land. And so we see you can read chapter three if if you like, but uh, it's Abraham's efforts to buy some land in the land of Canaan. And uh, it says in verse 19, after this transaction, so he, he actually is allowed to purchase the land, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah. Okay. Now, why is this even in here? Um, so it's it's in there because this cave in Machpelah is not only where Sarah is buried, but it's also where Abraham, Isaac, Rebekah, that's going to be Isaac's wife, Jacob, that's going to be Isaac's son, and Leah who is Jacob's, uh, one of Jacob's wives, they're also going to be buried there. So why is even that important? Okay, well, follow Jewish history. Remember, none of this was written down in its final form until about 500 years before Christ. When the Jewish people decide to enter, you know, his, we're going to cover this, don't worry. But uh, in the Exodus, the people, they've been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, and they're going to come back to the promised land. They need to have some justification for taking over that land, right? Well, this is the justification. Abraham owned this plot of land in uh, Canaan. Um, so, um, what is on that spot of the cave of Machpelah now? Well, you may have guessed it, another massive, massive Muslim mosque honoring the burial place of Abraham. This mosque, which is there today, is called the Haram el-Khalil. Uh, I'm not even going to try to spell it. Uh, begins with a K, the last word. Haram el-Khalil, K-H-A-L-I-L, is the last word. 
And it's one of the three holiest sites in Islam to honor the burial place of Abraham. Remember, Abraham is the father of many nations, right? Because he had not only Isaac, but he also had Ishmael. Um, and uh, two of the three holiest sites in Islam honor Abraham. The uh, one is the place of his test with Isaac. You know, that is where the Dome of the Rock is. And the other is his burial place here in Machpelah. By the way, if you get to the Holy Land, you wonder, where is this cave? It's still there. This cave slash mosque is in uh, Hebron, which is about 30 miles south of Jerusalem. So maybe you go on a tour and you'll, you'll see that. Okay, so Abraham has his son. He's wealthy. He owns land in Canaan now. Everything's great, but he's got one problem. His unmarried son, who according to Jewish tradition, at least one Jewish tradition, is about 37 years old at this time, he's still living at home. So imagine if he had a kid and he's 37 and he's still living at home. You want to get him married, right? Well, for one thing, if Abraham's going to have more descendants, according to the covenant, Isaac, Abraham's son, needs a woman. But Abraham doesn't want Isaac to get mixed up with these local Canaanite women uh, who we'll see in the book of Exodus practice temple prostitution, child sacrifice, and all that. So Abraham wants to make sure that uh you know, she, that he marries uh, a, a girl not of this immoral culture. So the, what follows in this session is a great lesson um, on um, being equally yoked. Um, so Abraham tells his servant, go back to where they came from. Now that's a long ways, okay, away. Because remember, Abraham traveled all those hundreds of miles to get to the promised land in the first place. He says, go back where you came from and find a wife from my own family, from Abraham's own family, for Isaac. Uh, so, you know, they're going to be related by by blood, all right? Um it's kind of like uh, in some southern states, uh, you know, you go to a family reunion to find your next date. Well, these people are all pagans. That's one reason why God told them to leave that area to go to the promised land. But Abraham figures maybe one of them will be easier to convert than these Canaanite women in the area that, uh, you know, practice temple prostitution and child sacrifice and all kinds of stuff like that. Okay, so why didn't Abraham tell Isaac to go back those 800 miles himself? Well, he wanted to make sure that Isaac stayed in the land of Canaan that was promised to his descendants. Because um, remember, um, the people have to stay there, or they kind of violate the uh, the covenant, or one of the one of the covenants there, right? So, uh, in verse six, he he sends his his servant, you know, to to get uh you know to get a wife, kind of a weird way of swearing, and we see in chapter twenty four, 
verse uh, what two put your hand under my thigh and i will make you swear by the lord the god of heaven and the god of earth that you will not procure a wife for my son from the daughters of the canaanites among who i live but you will go to my own land okay so we've kind of covered that right and the servant asked him what if the woman is unwilling to follow me to this land you know what if she won't leave to come the 800 miles should i then take your son back to the land from where you migrated and here we see abraham saying never take my son back there for any reason why um, he must stay in the promised land to keep the uh, the covenant, and he doesn't want Isaac to be uh, uh, corrupted. Okay. Well, he's he's you know kind of protective. He doesn't want to be corrupted by the Canaanite women or these other pagan women, eight hundred miles to the uh, uh, east southeast. All right. So the servant uh, did what. Um, did what single men do today, even where you live. Uh, he goes to a watering hole to look for a woman, not a bar, an actual watering hole, a well. Um, this is a well where the women would gather to draw water for their households. Now, there's a good lesson for us. If you wanted to find a spouse, what should you do first? Well, what did the servant do first? He prayed. But what did he pray that the woman would have? Did he pray that uh, she would have beauty? No. Did he pray that she would have a lot of money? No. Did he pray that she would have great intelligence? No. Let's look at verse 14. He, the servant devises a strategy. How do I know I'm going to get a good woman for Isaac? He decides to himself, he says, If I say to a girl, please lower your jug that I may drink, and she answers, take a drink and let me give water to your camels too. Let her be the one whom you have decided upon for your servant Isaac. Okay. Um, so in other words, um, he wants a girl who's hospitable, who's kind, who's charitable, who gives even more than was asked for, who works hard. Uh, the servant just asked for a drink for himself. And what does she say in verse 19? It's just like he drew it up. And she's willing to draw up water uh, by hand in a jug, enough water for his 10 camels. I'm kind of summarizing this chapter because there's a lot of verbiage in here. And we're trying to uh, get the, the lesson behind this rather long story. Uh, but know this, she's going to draw water enough for his 10 camels. A camel is a huge animal. It's estimated that the average cam camel drinks at least 14 gallons of water at a sitting. So that's 140 gallons of water. That's got to be 20 trips to the well, cranking it, etc. That's hard work. If Abraham's servant was looking for a wealthy girl, he would have looked for a girl whose servant fetched the water. Um, but nope. Um, there's one other thing Abraham's servant was looking for. A girl who would finish what she started. Verse 21 and 22, 
says the servant watched her the whole time. You know, Abraham's servant watched her the whole time until she was finished before he spoke to her again. You know, a lot of people make great claims and they start well, but they don't finish well. They say, oh yeah, let me get some, some water for your camels. And then they get a couple of jugs and they say, yeah, you know, it's hot. I don't think I want to finish it. So a lot of people make great claims and they start well, but they don't finish well. They don't finish what they started. Her hospitality continues. She invites his entourage, this servant of Abraham's entourage, to spend the night at her family's house, which is actually Abraham's nephew's house. Okay. So in verse 29, we meet, now we're in chapter, you know, 24, right? Uh, we meet, for the first time, we meet Laban. This is her materialistic, uh, this, this, this girl's materialistic, smarmy brother. We're going to see Laban again when we study Jacob and his two wives in a couple of weeks. Spoiler alert, this guy is very dishonest. Okay. But um, I want you to look what Abraham's doing. Abraham meets Laban. And he, he tells this, uh, the story to Rebecca about how, you know, uh, how, uh, he came to pick her. And so you'll, I want you to underline all the times he makes reference to the Lord. Um, verse 26, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham. Um, the Lord has led me straight to the house of my master's brother. Uh, verse 34, he meets Laban and he says, I'm Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master. So in telling the story of how he decided on this girl, whose name is Rebecca, uh, the servant keeps saying, the Lord told me to do this. You know, the Lord... Uh, we'll, we'll take care of this. And I prayed, verse 42, I prayed, Lord God of my master Abraham, make it your will to make successful that I am engaged on. Okay. Um, and then he finishes the story, verse 48. Then I bowed down and worshiped to the Lord, blessing the Lord, the God of my master Abraham. So, um, he talks about the Lord, and again, in summary, in summary, verse 26, verse 34, verse 40, verse 42, verse 48, three times in verse 48. So seven times in 15 verses, the servant is saying, in essence, if you recall the movie, The, the Blues Brothers, I'm on a mission from God, okay? But the important lesson for us is he prays before he chooses a spouse, for for Isaac. And he's also evangelizing to uh, Abraham's relatives. You know, he keeps mentioning this God, right? You know, he doesn't say to Laban, hey, Abraham's got a lot of money and his kid needs a wife. Um, this servant shares his faith. And it must have some effect because when Abraham's servant asks for Rebekah's hand, even Laban replies in verse 58, and 51, this thing is from the Lord, 
So let her be Isaac's wife as the Lord has spoken. And then we're going to see the fairy tale like meeting and marriage of Rebecca and Isaac through, you know, verses 54 through 67. Um, you can read that on your own. It's very romantic. Uh, not a lot of, of uh, doctrine in there. So in the interest of time, we'll skip it. Do read it, but uh, nothing really needs explained. Great love story. Also, we see that Rebecca is decisive and she agrees to radical change. She's willing to move 800 miles to a place she's never seen. We know that it was a good marriage based on doing God's will and based on solid biblical character traits. Then chapter 25 is kind of an epilogue on Abraham's life. This sly dog, Abraham, at the age of 137, is still going strong. He marries again, and the descendants of this wife include the father of the Midianites, uh, another Middle Eastern group, that, uh, um, and also uh, the father of uh, Sheba, both of which we will see later. It says in verse 7 of chapter 25 that he died at age 175. Maybe that's a literary device to show him in the land of Canaan for 100 years, or maybe it's a way of just saying it's a long time. And he's buried in that cave of Machpelah that we talked about by Isaac and Ishmael, who will obviously die later. Um, and they come back for the funeral. Um, then we see one of God's, one more of God's promises fulfilled at the end of the story. In verse 16 we, of chapter 25, we see that Ishmael's children, Ishmael, okay, not Jewish, become 12 chieftains, which fulfills God's promise to Hagar, which was Ishmael's mother, in chapter 17, verse 20, where he said um, that um, uh, that Ishmael would be the father of, you guessed it, 12 chieftains. So we see a God who keeps his promises. So um, let's go to the Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, in this little story, this little vignette, uh, you've given us some excellent advice in picking a spouse. That we don't look for money or beauty or even intelligence, first and foremost. First of all, as this servant did in the little story, we pray about it. We look for a woman who we are, who is willing to be of service to others, who is kind, who is um, a, a servant, who has a servant's heart. And all the other things can, can be added to that. So we thank you for that. And for the second uh, thing that we can cling to in this story is that, once again, we recognize that you are a God who keeps your promises and you fulfilled that promise that you made to Hagar in, in terms of uh, making... Ishmael also a uh, a, a great uh, and and his people a great nation. So thank you for that guidance. Help us to remember to pray before all large decisions. 
Uh, we ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>